Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly different perspective. I just wanted to, um, again, take the time to thank everybody for the incredible support on our Tint Tuesday sale, sort of an annual little tradition we do before before Black Friday, I guess. Um, and it always, always is a lot of fun, and it brings a lot of new customers, and, and um, we get to make some new friends, and, and I know it, a lot of you... Uh, repeat customers and members of our community enjoy it too. So thank you so much. It means a lot to us and it uh, it's very exciting. One thing I do want to uh, remind you of, as, as we've talked about before, uh, we've mentioned it in our FAQs, but I still get emails periodically about this. We are uh, always trying to ship things as quickly as possible. Uh, as you know, one of the things that separates Tannin Aquatics from many mass market brands is that we're, everything that we send you is hand curated, hand collected literally selected for your aquarium. So we don't have prepackaged, you know, products sitting around. Perhaps we should, but we don't. We select everything from our, you know, collection uh, for your order. Everything's packed to order. And that's just the way we've always done it. And I know when we scaled up, it became a little more difficult to to do, but we're, we're, we're pretty good at it. But during times of sales, uh, and busy periods like this, it takes a little longer to get orders out, and we appreciate the patience. But we do get emails every once in a while asking where the order is, and I just want to let you know we're at, we're processing everything in the order that it's received, as we always have. Uh, and um, it just sometimes it takes a little longer during this time of season when we get inundated with so many orders at one time. But we're going to rest assured we're working as hard as we can, our, our staff, to get everything uh, packaged and out to you quickly and correctly, uh, and with the same quality that you'll. Uh, you've come to expect from us throughout the year. So please be patient. If you have a particular need to get something a little quicker, maybe it's a gift for somebody or you're leaving town or um, you have a, you know, a a tank build or something that, that needs to be addressed, let me know. And obviously we can push you up into the, into the queue. But for most of you, I just appreciate the, uh, the patience. We gave our, our staff uh, kind of the unusual step this year in the American Thanksgiving holiday. We gave our staff um, pretty much the, 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 days just before and just after Thanksgiving, including the weekend, a chance to recover um, because it's been a, a long year for everybody uh, and we haven't really taken any time off. So it's been nice that uh, everybody's coming back with a little new energy. So we'll we'll get stuff out to you quickly, but we appreciate your understanding on that. And I just wanted to uh, one more time just mention that to you, um, that we'll get to everything just as fast as we can. We understand we're eager to get we're as eager to get your stuff out to you as you are to receive it. So we appreciate the extra patience. It's part of being a botanical style aquarist. And one of the things I want to talk about today, it's kind of interesting because during the sale, we, um, we noticed a lot more people buying uh, aquatic wood or driftwood. And pretty much every hobbyist on the planet has played with some type of driftwood uh, in his or her aquarium at some point, right? Yeah, I think that's you know, a pretty accurate statement. And we all know that when you use driftwood, there's some steps that you need to take in order to prepare it for aquarium use. And of course, there's some expectations about what happens during the process. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm going to clear that morning throat here for you. And there's a fair amount of misconceptions and misinformation out there about what can work and what is not safe, etc., etc. And a lot of misunderstanding about where and how wood in the aquarium fits into the whole equation of creating a functionally aesthetic aquarium habitat. Now, at the risk of adding to the confusion... Uh, I will try to clear up some of this stuff here. Believe it or not, if properly prepared, almost, and I say almost, scare, uh, hesitantly, almost any type of dried wood can be utilized in aquariums. The important thing is that the wood must be, well, dry. It can't be live or have any what's called green wood or sap present, as these may have toxic effects on fishes when submerged. 
Sap can be toxic to fishes even when dry. So if you see a piece of wood, even dry, that's displaying some sap, it might be a good idea to remove the section where the sap is coming from or simply take a pass. In our experience, it's better to purchase or collect your wood from sources known to offer aquarium-safe wood and not have to worry about suitability, toxic concerns, etc. But if you want to experiment, feel free and do share your results with us, of course, and be prepared to take some risk. Now, driftwood is just sort of a generic term for wood that's been dried over time, generally free of bark, which other than containing uh, tannins and polyphenols, by the way, is largely non-toxic and reasonable, which are largely non-toxic and reasonable concentrations, isn't really that problematic. And of course, no green wood as outlined above. In most trees, the real chemically active substances are found in the leaves and live, you know, growing green wood and the sap. So a dry, largely bark strip piece of wood, free from sap, dried or otherwise, is generally pretty good to go and is relatively stable and, uh, and neutral. Um, someone asked me if we were, you know, when we talk about wood, um, I'm often, ta- uh, you know, approached by people and say, hey, have you, have you seen such and such type of wood? And, and the funny thing about wood is we give them these names um, you know, spider wood. And so spider wood's azalea root. It's not really technically even wood. Driftwood is, I'm not even sure exactly which species of tree the generic term driftwood is. There's so many trees where waterfalls, where they fall into water and, and float around for years and years. So we call them driftwood, but it could be from just about any type of tree. But we get asked a lot, are you going to offer this particular type of, you know, trendy wood or whatever? And it, you know, sometimes I have to think about it for a little bit. Now, it seems to me at any given day, you know, such and such variety of wood is the it variety and everyone wants it. You know, some guy does a tank with the scraggly shit emerging from the water and, you know, a few sexy pics go up on his Instagram feed and boom, next thing you know, trend. As someone who offers, you know, natural aquascaping materials for specialized aquariums, I long ago realized that I need to stop chasing every type of hot wood variety that shows up on the market. I, I found some types that I've, you know, they've proven to be great in our natural style aquariums and Honestly, I'm generally clueless on what's hot in the aquascaping wood world, if there is such a thing. My, my um, assurance to you is that we'll continue to offer types of wood that we enjoy using in our own scapes. Some will just happen to be the ones that are popular and relatively common or even trendy at the moment. Some will be types which fell out of favor with the mainstream scaping world. Some will be obscure in each specific stuff. And some will just be, you know, generic. We constantly introduce new varieties as we encounter and, and test them. The majority of the stuff will be simply stuff that works. How's that for you? I hope that answers that. Of course, this means I'm probably the last guy who should be discussing what wood to use in your aquascapes. I mean, uh, it'll be discussion on what happens at that magical moment when we place wood in water. So first off, let's talk about where our wood comes from. Well, well shit, it comes from, wait for it, trees. Boom, mind blown, I know. But really, for the sake of this discussion, let's just assume you're working with wood that's been properly collected and is suitable for aquarium use. When you first submerge wood, a lot of dirt, man, that's the word, dirt from the atmosphere and surrounding environment comes off along with tannins, lignin, and all sorts of other stuff from the exterior surfaces and all those nooks and crannies that we love so much. And a piece of wood initially immersed in water floats, much to our chagrin, right? Of course, again, there's those tannins. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm always amused, and I know it's not that hard to amuse me, but I'm always amused by that frantic post I see on a, a, a typical aquatic forum where a hobbyist that's, you know, uh, complaining that their water is turning brown from this piece of wood that they're uh, they're planting and it's you know ruining their nature aquarium. And I'm always like, not only am I amused, but I'm always like, what's the big deal? And then I'm like, oh yeah, not everybody likes this stuff. I get it. 
But let's face it, wood has tannins, it's going to leach. We know this, this has been known since the beginning of time. So you have, you know, some options. The reality is that driftwood will continue to leach tannins pretty much for as long as it's submerged. Now, I see this as a great advantage to helping establish and maintain the black water look and to impart the humic substances that are known to have, you know, health benefits for fishes. Some wood types like mangrove tend to release more tannins than others over a long period of time. Others like spiderwood will release a big burst of tannins relatively quickly and then it subsides. Some, uh, again, such as mangrove wood are really dirty and release other materials over a long period of time. Um, you know, I can go on and on about different types of wood, but the reality is every wood behaves a little bit differently and you just have to experience it for yourself. What I'm more concerned with about when it comes to preparation of wood are the impurities, the trap dirt and the stuff contained within the wood. As you probably know, that's also why I'm a staunch advocate of the overly conservative boil and soak approach to the preparation of botanicals as well. A lot of material gets bound up in the dermal layer of the tree where the wood comes from. Atmospheric dust, pollutants, bird droppings, insects, etc. None of this is stuff you want in your tank, right? Now, the bulk of the dry mass of the xylem, which is the network within the tree, which transports water and soluble mineral nutrients uh, from the roots throughout the plant and comprises what we know as wood, is cellulose, a polysaccharide, and most of the remainder is lignin, which is sort of a complex polymer. Okay, why the botany lesson, Scott? Well, because you have to have some idea of what you're putting into your tank, and when you do, you'll have a better understanding of why it behaves the way it does when it's submerged. In a given piece of driftwood, there's going to be some material bound up in these structures, and it's going to be released gradually or otherwise into the aquatic environment that surrounds it, with a big burst typically happening on the initial submersion. So this is why during the first couple of weeks after you submerge wood, the water often becomes dark and even cloudy. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's far better, in my opinion, to take the time to start the curing process in a separate container apart from the display aquarium. It's not rocket science. It's not some wisdom that only enlightened the querists attain. We all know this, right? It's common sense and a practice we all need to simply view as necessary when we're using terrestrial materials like wood and, for that matter, botanicals. You may love the tannins as much as I do, but I'm confident your tank could do without the polysaccharides and lignans and the other impurities from the, from the outer layers of the wood. The potential effects on water quality are significant. It's pretty plain to see that at least part of the reason we see a burst of new algae growth and biofilm on wood recently added to the aquarium is that there's so much stuff bound up in it. That stuff is essentially algae fuel when added to water. Algal and fungal spores can literally bloom during the initial period after submersion, and this alone is a great reason to take that long, slow approach to wood prep. Interestingly enough, that process of, I guess we'd call it curing, happens naturally when a tree trunk or a branch falls into water in wild aquatic habitats. It's not a quick process in nature either, so we need not feel too bad about playing a waiting game when it comes to curing wood for aquariums. In fact, the geek that I am over the years, I've made it a personal practice to submerge wood, which I intend to use in my tank, a couple of months before I set it up in my tank. This will enable a good percentage of the bound up contaminants and unwanted organic materials to be released before the wood ever graces your aquascape. And it, you know, goes without saying that gives the wood a chance to saturate and sink too. It's patience. What about boiling? Well, sure, boiling can hasten the process somewhat, but here's the deal. Most of us don't have like a kettle or a pot or other large enough container which to boil a big old piece of wood. So the long-term pre-soak is the optimal approach. And let's face it, even with preparation, when you combine water, light, and organics, you're bound to get some fungus, some biofilm, and even algae for some period of time. Some fungal growth and biofilms are to be expected in the earliest days of submersion, but they're tenacious life forms and they'll exploit the available nutrients and conditions that are appropriate for their survival. Just like with our botanicals, it's a normal occurrence. 
Certain wood varieties like manzanita, spiderwood, and mangrove branches are copious producers of these things. Interestingly, the more traditional Asian driftwood tends to produce far less of this stuff. Maybe it's because it's been underwater for enough time to have eliminated a lot of the stuff bound up within it. I'm not sure. Biofilms and, well, we may not like the way it looks in our tank. I totally get that. Now, I remember deliberately not pre-soaking mangrove wood in my last uh, home aquarium. I love torturing myself, apparently, just to see how nasty it could be. And, oh, the things you do for, you know, sharing knowledge, right? Uh, the result was it, it's taking like three, four, or five months before the wood stops producing tons of biofilm and, and hair algae and leaching a ton of uh, tannins, which made the water really dark. It was freaking punishing to go through this. Well, I mean, it's kind of cool, but um, pretty much everybody else who saw the aquarium during the break-in period thought otherwise. But eventually that patina comes into play and the biofilm, you know, tends to subside a bit. Minor biofilm is on the softer parts of the wood. It's always going to pop up on occasion, just like it does in nature. It's normal. It's not dangerous. It's okay. We know this. And of course, along the way, you can incorporate some biological helpers like algal and detritivorous consuming fishes and even snails if you're into them. Uh, of course, many, many fishes will peck at biofilms and other growth on the wood and botanicals as part of their daily foraging activities. And of course, good old-fashioned aquarium husbandry and stepped-up maintenance practices never hurt either. And having a good soft bristled toothbrush on hand can help with the day-to-day -day upkeep if needed. Likely, this stuff will continue to... Uh, you know, return until the fuel, which causes their appearance and growth in the first place, diminishes. Obviously, the happy endings typically will happen with aquarium wood, given the passage of time and a bit of assistance from us. But it's important to understand why these things, you know, appear and how to react when they happen. Like so many things in a truly natural aquarium. I don't know why I stopped talking for some reason. You know what it was? I, 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 this is the, the best part about live blogging. I thought my, uh, <laughs> my microphone shut off, so I just stopped talking. Anyway, back to this. So like so many things in a natural aquarium, uh, these may not meet our aesthetic standards, but if we have a greater understanding for just what they are, why they appear, and how to address them or not, we can take that mental shift that you hear me ranting about so often on, you know, on my blog and in the podcast. Embracing a new paradigm of what a natural aquarium really is. One that doesn't cause us to rush off headless screaming into the night or onto Facebook when some algae or biofilm appears. Go with, you know, goes with the territory. Embracing nature in all her glory is what we're all about. Expectations, education, patience. They're all core skills which, you know, I've talked about a billion times and we need to bolster our success with as we push the boundaries of aquarium keeping. And of course, I'm fascinated by the world of biofilms, decomposition, microorganism growth, and detritus on their potential for serving as supplemental food sources for our fishes. And of course, wood plays right into that. Now, the idea of xylophagy, which is the consumption of and digestion of wood, is of course a pretty cool and interesting adaptation to the environment where some of these fishes come from. And as you suspect, the way that wood is consumed and digested is equally cool and fascinating. It's thought that the scraping teeth and highly angled jaws of Loricaridae are a perfect adaptation to this feeding habit of scraping wood. And of course, it's even argued among scientists that they as fishes may not actually digest the wood they consume. When scientists, well, scientists have identified a symbiotic bacteria which is found in the gut of these fishes that helps break down wood components, it's been argued by some that the fishes don't actually digest and metabolize the wood, indeed deriving very little energy from the wood they consume. In fact, a lab study by Donovan P. German was described in the November 2009 Journal of Comparative Physiology in which several species were fed wood and found to actually digest it quite poorly. And I quote, in laboratory feeding trials, and he names a bunch of um, hypostomus and some other plecos, 
lost weight while consuming wood and passed stained wood through their digestive tracts in less than four hours. Furthermore, no selective retention of small particles was observed in either species in any region of the gut. Collectively, these results corroborate digestive enzyme activity profiles and gastrointestinal fermentation levels in the fish's GI tracts, suggesting that wood-eating catfishes are not true xylophores such as beavers or termites, but rather are detritivores like so many other fishes from the family Loricaridae. Okay, did you hear that? Detritivores. Hmm. And this little nugget from the same study, the fishes consume 2 to 5% of their body mass on a net weight basis in wood per day, but we're not thriving on it as uh, one of the species lost 1.8 to uh, plus or minus 0.15% of their body mass over the course of the experiment. Yet anatomical studies of these fishes show that the so-called wood-eating catfishes uh, had what uh, physiologists refer to as body size corrected intestinal lengths that were 35% shorter than the detritivore species. So what does this mean? Could they have perhaps at, had at one time and subsequently lost their ability to digest wood? Maybe. Ah. At the, the point of the argument that they're primarily detritivores, consuming a matrix of biofilm, algal growth, microorganisms, for want of a better word, dirt, what does this mean? In fact, many species in the Loricaridae are known to be detritivores, and this has made them remarkably adaptable fishes in the aquarium. Now, my limited personal experience with Loricaridae is undoubtedly far you know, less than yours, and the but an observation I made not too long ago, uh, best anecdotal, but it's kind of interesting and maybe supports this. Um, if you follow my writing here, you know that I've had a love affair with uh, Pecolotia compta, aka the L134 leopard frog. It's a beautiful little fish that's filled with a lot of charm. And I had a little specimen. She seemed to have vanished uh, following a reconfiguring, a rescape of my aquascape uh, in, in one of my aquariums. And I thought somehow she was lost or died and decayed without me detecting it, which was sad. For almost three months, she was MIA, just gone. And then one day, there she was, poking out from a, a spiderwood thicket um, that formed the basis of the hardscape at the time. And to say I was overjoyed was a bit of an understatement, of course. After her reappearance, she was out every day. She looked just as fat and happy as when I saw her in the other scape, which begs the question, besides my curiosity of how she evaded detection, what the hell was she eating on during this time? Well, I suppose it's possible that some bits of frozen food got away from my population of hungry kerosens and fell to the bottom. However, I'm pretty fastidious, and the other you know, fishes were pretty voracious eaters. I think it was more likely the biofilm, the fungal growth, perhaps some of the you know, surface tissues of the wood, maybe some detritus, with spiderwood perhaps. And that stuff does tend to recruit some fungal growth on its surfaces. And curiously, in that tank, I noticed during the first few months, the wood seemed to never really accumulate as much of the stuff as I'd seen it do in the past tanks, which incorporated. So yeah, anyway, the, the point of this tortured example is that we should all think of wood in our aquariums as more than just an aesthetic prop. Rather, it should be viewed as an element of a naturally functioning closed aquarium habitat. An aquarium producer, an important one, uh, or aggregator of supplemental foods and as a source of important tannins, humic substances, and other compounds for aquarium environmental enhancement. That's the coolest part of the wood equation, if you ask me. So I want you to always think about that when you're playing with wood. Stay creative, stay curious, stay resourceful, stay engaged, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman. Thanks for spending a larger than normal part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.